welcome to this latest edition of Love Service Wisdom. It is autumn here in Boise. It's gorgeous with a vibrant pop of colors, orange and yellow and red all over the trees. The air is crisp and clean and clear. Ah, it's just a wonderful time of year and really happy to be enjoying this transition into slowing down and going inward and uh, the harvest, the harvest of all the efforts from the summer and the activity and the doing and the outward flow of energy. And here we're cycling back inward. And I hope you're finding ways that help you cultivate some inner stillness and the ability to like take assessments of what's necessary and what's not and start to let things go and then really honor the things that are important to you. Just back from a trip to Denver this past weekend, went with my partner, Krishna, a.k.a. East Forest. He goes by Krishna because that was the name that Ramdas gave him when we were there visiting him a couple years ago now, actually. And that's where I got the name Radha. So you can call me Radha. You can call him Krishna. And we were there because one of his favorite uh, groups is Sigur Rós and Jonesy and Alex, uh, Jonesy of Sigur Rós with his partner, Alex, they were on tour with their debut album, Rice Boy Sleeps that came out 10 years ago. So it was the 10 year anniversary release of this album. And they played it with like a, a new orchestral arrangement that was quite gorgeous and wonderful. So we went there to go see that. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to visit a acquaintance of his that he has had on his podcast before, a man named Cody Wiggs, who's a therapist, and he does ketamine therapy. So we stopped in for a session with Cody, and it was quite, uh, let's see, it was quite, it was just really wonderful. Let's start with that. Uh, I haven't experienced experienced ketamine in a therapeutic setting like that. And it was, um, powerful. It's being used now. It's a, it's a controlled three substance, but it's also legal to use and it's used, uh, as an anesthetic and it's also used in therapy to treat PTSD and depression and anxiety. So Cody is one of these therapists who, uh, has ketamine sessions and, I can see how it can be very effective, especially if you have severe depression or anxiety or PTSD in bringing you around to a feeling of um, connection and just broadening your lens uh, quite a bit so that you can reconnect to a different, um, less filtered experience of reality than the ego can give us, let's say. I can certainly understand it's definitely not for everyone that's psychedelics and hallucinogens aren't. And, um, but those that are, do have that inclination, it's, uh, it's let's, I guess I'm fumbling a little bit for my words, but I would say it's a gentler form in my experience of a psychedelic experience compared to, let's say, LSD or ayahuasca or psilocybin magic mushrooms. One in that it's fairly short lasting. You can, we went in for a session and, um, you know, had the intake with Cody for, um, I don't know, an hour or so. And then he had a beautiful way of casting the space ceremoniously 
with the directions and um, saging and grounding and a guided meditation. And then the when you take the dosage, it's only about a 45 minute to an hour experience. And then maybe I would say an hour ish with this lingering sensation coming out of it. Like I said, it is an anesthetic. So it does work on the body in that way. It is, it has body sensations a relaxed body sensation with it. But, um, the space that you're able to go into is one uh, that's deeply profound and incredibly spiritual. And uh, for me, very grounded in soul connection, my own personal soul connection and beyond you get taken to this place. Again, this is all from my experience into uh, it kind of reveals what's most potent in your subconscious mind, most present. Cody said that when we were doing the intake and I would certainly say that was true because like I said, we that had that experience with um, Jonesy and Alex, that ambient orchestral music that was so enveloping and sweet and full at the same time. And that day before we went to the concert, we also went to the Clifford Stills Museum, <clears throat> which is, uh, he's an abstract expressionist painter, was an abstract expressionist painter and one of the greatest um in the movement and his works, he dropped out of the art scene in like 1951 and refused to work with galleries. And so the museum that's there in Denver, they have the pretty much like 98% of his entire collection of works are in this one museum. So we were, we went there and the recommendation of a good friend, Holly Ogden from Phoenix, who's a fabulous designer and gorgeous woman and really intelligent. Definitely when she says, you know, check this out. It's like, oh, I bet that's going to be good. So we happened to look into the Clifford Stills Museum and that night before the show, they were having a special um, gallery tour that included scents. And so we would go into the different galleries that were associated with the elements, earth, air, fire, water, ether, and then have different scents given to us as we looked at the pieces of art. And if you haven't seen Clifford Stills, most of them are quite large and like I said, abstract, but with like large swaths of paints, unlike let's say Jackson Pollock, who's, you know, like splatter painting. And there's lots of little micro pieces of paint in the splatters. So these large canvases with big elements of color and then the olfactory sense turned on with the sense too. It was a really wonderful way to experience art, especially an artist like that for the first time. So that's just to say I had just had that experience. And then when I was in the um, ketamine space, my visual field was also in this, it almost was like I was in one of his paintings, especially the paintings that were in the air in the ether rooms, which were light in color and bright and, and bold and big and all encompassing. And, uh, the psychedelic journey for me with ketamine is one where, how best to describe this, where I am, it's like a paradox of being fully immersed in my life experience and the elements of it while feeling like I am all of the parts and pieces at the same time. And then this aspect of really dropping into the space of, 
um, God self, let's say, where you're the creator of your own reality and you can see how your energy and your ego and your intention and your alignment is also uh, what is then causing your perceptual fields. Again, that's why I would assume for folks with depression or anxiety, you that because the experience is also very gentle and some of some of the other ones can really slay you with the shadow side of stuff and you can get in these <laughs> really horrific loops of um oh what's painful and difficult in this experience like i said it didn't happen for me but i know it's happened for others where they can have difficult experiences but um if you're able to navigate through that space and put those pieces together and then the gentleness around it can give you, I would think more of a sense of hope and lightness coming out of it on the other side. And, um, especially within the context of a therapeutic setting where you can process it afterwards with a therapist and the therapist is also, um, setting that container and holding the space for you, which Cody did so gently and so beautifully and so graciously. And, um, yeah, another part of my experience is I've been working recently with the, with Lakshmi, who's the goddess of wealth and prosperity and abundance in the Hindu pantheon of uh, deities. She is the consort of Lord Vishnu and Lord Vishnu is in the Trinity of Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, He's there in the middle. Brahma is the creator aspect, the creator, creation energy. And Vishnu is the sustainer, the preserver, someone who maintains life. And Shiva is the destroyer. So it's the cycles of birth, life, and death that are there. And so Lakshmi is the partner of this energy of Vishnu, which is the sustainer of life. And so she's wealth and abundance and prosperity, like I said, and she is, when she incarnates, she is Sita, who is the partner of Ram, and she is also Radha, who's the partner of Krishna. So Vishnu, he incarnates as Krishna and Ram. Those are a couple of his incarnations or avatars. Sorry if that's too heady for some of you guys that don't follow Hindu mythology, but just trying to break it down for you a little bit, give you some context. So she's there. And in, uh, in yogic work, you use mantra a lot, which I have talked about in other podcasts, how powerful that is for me. So I've been using the Lakshmi mantra because I taught it a couple of weekends ago to a group of my students in the yoga teacher training program. And, um, it was, we were doing like the business of yoga and working through some of those nuts and bolts aspect. And I wanted to bring it out into a bigger context of rewiring and rewriting your stories around money and personal self-worth. And so dialing into the Lakshmi energy can really help you with that and the creation of abundance in your life. So the Lakshmi mantra is Om Shreem Maha Lakshmaye Namaha or Shreem. It sometimes ends with And so that came to me as I was also in the ketamine space because I've been saying that every day with my malas, my japa meditation 108 times. And then in that space, feeling when the mantra came to me, it was like the embodiment of Lakshmi energy, which was like graceful and beautiful and full and complete and also the sense of like grounded soul source energy. And... 
Yeah, there. I don't know. I guess it's just on this journey where it was really clear and um, pleasant and reaffirming. You can check in because your ego is still, at least it was for me, my ego is still there. My sense of personality, I was still present in the journey. It's not always that way. And um, could check in about different things like this, this new business this I'm just about to launch, this meditation studio that wants to come through called Source that I'm opening here in downtown Boise next to my yoga studio, Sage, and, you know, getting the affirmative, yep, go ahead, that's a good thing to do, and um, reconnecting or connecting on a deeper level, I should say, with Krishna in that space and um, the images that come to mind or came to mind when I checked in with him was like the whole world, like us merging into this visual of the entire earth, which again, feels grounding the earth. There's almost nothing more grounding than the earth and also incredibly expansive with a backdrop of the cosmos and whole and complete. So I feel really grateful to Cody for providing that space for he and I, Krishna and I to drop into an experience. It's only been a couple of days now since, um, that happened. And I'm hopeful for the use of ketamine in the therapeutic setting. It's been around for, you know, decades and it's, like I said, legal to do. And there are different ketamine therapists out there that you could seek out for treatments and even, talking with Cody afterwards, um, you know, there's so much research going on about the use of different psychedelics and, uh, the potential that they might have in different combinations, let's say MDMA and psilocybin followed by a hit of DMT, followed by some nitrous, followed by, um, ketamine. And then where that takes a person, um, in all the different ways and realms. So that's being studied just like all the new, or no, I shouldn't say new, all the research has been opened up again around <clears throat> psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and the work with uh, MAPS and at John Hopkins and in Israel and all over the place. It just feels it feels really liberating that as a culture we can now begin to accept that these states of consciousness occur and study and explore them and that not be a bad or a shameful or a harmful thing that it can be done in a way that's very thoughtful and helpful and really to the human psyche. The use of psychedelics have been present in most cultures around the globe throughout human history. And it wasn't really until recently in the 60s and 70s when they came to America first they were accepted quite broadly as they were unknown and the research was able to be done into the therapeutic effects and the uses and the experiences of these different states of consciousness and we know that that didn't always go well there were different experiments with the CIA that were quite harsh and um, lots of learning that occurred all on all different kinds of levels there was a lot of positive research that was happening at the same time. And so now um, m many of that is being revalidated in the current research that's occurring. And then, of course, we have anecdotally what has occurred because of people's psychedelic experiences. And it's an interesting um, blooming of 
at least from the 60s and 70s, when you look back of psychedelics, rock and roll, spirituality, and psychology. Uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of what has brought us to where we are today. Those three things coming together, psychedelics, rock and roll music, spirituality, and psychology. And they happen to be some of my favorite things. All four of those topics I enjoy the most out of anything else, really, besides maybe let's say nature, but that falls under the concept of spirituality for me. But, um, my degree, as I, I think I've mentioned before, is in transpersonal psychology, which is this fourth wave of psychology after humanism. And before that was behaviorism, before that was uh, psychoanalytic, like Freudian. And then the behaviorism is we do this, then that happens. That was the study of the, the mind and the human at that point. And then humanism was bringing in more of the thought that we should look at the qualitative experience, not just the quantitative experience of human life, meaning like Abraham Maslow, he was the founder of humanistic psychology and he had the hierarchy of needs where it was, if we can take care of these base needs like survival and food and shelter, then we can move up this little chain to then when we have that sense of security in place to explore our connection to soul and spirit and God. And then out of that came transpersonal psychology where they wanted to take it a little bit further um, into the realm of transpersonal, right? So beyond the personal self. And that means the connection is something other than just the ego. And it's the divine, it's, uh, it's nature, it's a sense of soul and spirit, it's peak experiences, it's altered states of consciousness. And what that means as a human experience, because it is, we're having them. So that's transpersonal psychology, the fourth wave. And that's what my master's degree is and what my study is and, and where my deep passions lie. And as a way to integrate into the yogic field as a spiritual practice is that's what I do in my teachings and my life and who I am. And part of that most certainly is also altered states of consciousness and the psychedelic experience. Oh, another thing that occurred with this ketamine experience recently was while I was in it, I've also been studying um, Stan Groff, who's another transpersonal psychology founder and an early researcher in psychedelics in the 60s and 70s. And when that stopped, he developed a practice called holotropic breathwork, which is a specific way of breathing that induces a psychedelic state. It activates uh, the pineal gland in DMT, the psychedelic that's naturally stored in, in, and in the body. So while I, in, in reading his work, he said that he discovered holotropic breathwork through when he was working with different, um, uh, I don't want to say patients, when he was working with different subjects on the psychedelic research at times when they were wanting to extend the psychedelic experience, their body would spontaneously go into this different mode of breathing that was rather rapid, almost like, um, 
hyperventilating, but not quite. And um, then after his research ended and he couldn't use substances anymore, but he was still working with groups, particularly at Esalen, he experimented with how can we breathe to then induce the state which he discovered was possible. And then that, for me, in my mind, links to like yogic pranayama, prana meaning life force energy and yama meaning control. So through the breath, different practices of how you can breathe that can affect your pranic states, your life energy state. So then while I was in um, this recent ketamine experience consciously in using also breathwork practices to go a little bit deeper and experiment a little bit in this really safe container with the effects of that. And that was really profound too. And certainly took me, uh, it levels deeper when I, when I rerouted into the pranayamas that were occurring for me in that moment. And with the psychedelic experience too, it's this really fine paradox of a balance between letting go and letting things just open and be, and also focusing and concentrating and the concentration which is the gateway into meditation. If you're following like the yamas or not the yamas and the yamas, the, um, the eightfold path, the ashtanga of yoga, it's dharna and dhyana and then samadhi. It's med- it's concentration and then meditation and then this absorption into the one. So at times intentionally focusing my efforts either on my breath, which is, so much of an anchor and a master key in all psychedelic experiences and in regular life, waking consciousness, um, to use that to get into an expanded state and then you let go. And so sometimes with the idea of in the psychedelic state, like let go, let go, let go into the stream, let go into the river, let things just happen. That's true. And sometimes you can get caught in the ego, the churning of the ego and the different thoughts if you're just like ruminating and spinning on those outer layers. And so noticing that when it's occurring, the the different strong ego thoughts and then refocusing with different breath practices. And then that gets you into the state where you really want to let go, which is the samadhi, the oneness, the absolutes, the bliss states, that feeling of like fully complete perfection and depth and interconnection that can occur. So that was coming up for me also when I was just there in that state, um, leaning into those teachings of the founders of some of these movements. I'm excited. Sam Groff has a new book that he just finished. It's like a, like a two, it's a two volume series of like the entire, it's like an encyclopedia of psychedelics and psychedelic experiences. I haven't read it yet, but I just read about it and I'm excited to research it and dive into it a little bit. Um, yeah, so this is just like a little dip into a recent psychedelic experience that I have had. And like I was saying, it's something that's emerging in our culture now that we're talking about more and more with the decriminalization and the new research that's finally happening and the loosening of the like death grip around different psychedelics that we've had in our culture for the past 40 or 50 years and maybe 40 years. And, uh, it's, it's in a frontier, like it's an unknown where this is going and how it will evolve and transpire. I know that it's being done now with a lot more 
mindfulness and knowledge and uh, grace than perhaps some of the ways that it was explored in the 60s and 70s. Um, and it's being seems like it's being done in a way that's very integrative into society and culture in a um, in a balanced and beneficial way. And uh, it's yeah, it's just exciting to see where it's all going. And a couple of days on Thursday, I'm headed down to the SAN conference. It's science and non-duality down in San Jose, and I'm sure there'll be more thinkers and thought leaders and um, those on the cutting edge of projects just like this, which will be an interesting experience. I, I, I get quite filled up when I get to dip into that intellectual space with folks. East Forest, he's going to be performing a ceremony for the SAN conference, which um, is even just that. I love that he's doing those pieces. It's another way of bringing what is kind of been underground or in the shadows or not talked about this element of spirituality and ritual and bringing it up to the forefront and elevating it and saying, Hey, let's all do this together. Personally, I feel like a lot of the depression and anxiety and the loneliness and the sense of disconnection that we're feeling epidemically in our Western society, a lot of it is rooted in this disconnection from the inner world and the spiritual self and the unseen aspects of reality as, as Westerners, we kind of took this path of, um, becoming so proficient in the material world and our understanding and exploration of everything out here, out there and the world around us, which has led us to these great heights of development for sure that are quite wonderful, but to the neglect of our inner world and our inner landscape, where in the East, that's where for the past you know, centuries, they have thrived and they've explored. You can see the imbalance of the material world and the inner world in the East and the West. And the hope is that the integration is now beginning to happen. And <clears throat> both sides will benefit from the research and the exploration and the time spent in those two realms, inner and outer. But the real, uh, the real, pain points or sense of loss and disconnection is, is, is because of that loss of the sense of the inner self and the inner soul. And so even through the use of psychedelics and like with Cody, who did like a little ritual in the beginning around it, normalizing that experience, normalizing for us that we can do things that are quote unquote spiritual and it has real meaning and purpose that it's not looked down upon or um, disregarded or weird or fearful that it's actually incredibly useful and very powerful and a way of centering and aligning our everyday lives so we can live the best life possible. The best life possible that we can leave, sure, it has to do with like in the, in the hierarchy of needs of mass law of like sense of security and place and comfort and having your needs met. But the, the other key piece of it is this connection to other, to, to different, to more than just myself. 
like in transpersonal psychology, that can be found in so many different ways, whether it's through something like a yoga practice or meditation or just walking in nature or being with children or being of service or devotion or psychedelics, all kinds of things. And so it's up to us to figure out and, ex and find the ways that work for us as individuals that reconnect us, but it'll feel in the beginning scary and unknown because it is, it is scary and it is unknown and you are stepping into, um, something that you can't see that you can't really always touch and taste and smell that you're, that's an intuitive place. That's a formless place, but the formless is the other half of existence that we're bringing back in to bring us all back into balance. Something like this conference, science and non-duality is exactly that too. Science, the material, the Western and non-duality, spirituality, the formless, the unseen, the spiritual. So that's cool. And I'm very grateful that that's happening. And I know that more and more of this is occurring. It's, it's the path of wisdom. It's the path of integration. It's the path of honoring the poles and the, and the, and the oneness of all of it. It's not an either or it's a both and, and it's a paradox and it's beautiful and full and complete. And the, and the, I think it was Joseph Campbell who said the meaning of life is the meaning that we give it. And in my different journeys, it's, it feels like it boils down to that. We look for one solid answer to know and we feel like we know at times those moments were like, this is the key. And you write it down and it's like all is one. You're like, yeah, at the moment it felt way more profound than those couple words. But the, 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 the energy behind that sim simple statement is true. And then when we get back into form and into the rational mind, it seems silly and contrite and we, it kind of loses its meaning just when it is filtered through the mental faculties, but when it's filtered through the whole full body experience, that is it. And it is true. And it is true. And it changes and it evolves and, and we'll never quite know. And we will know at the same time and we'll remember and we'll forget. And this whole process is one of remembering and forgetting. And I think that's helpful to keep in mind because we can sometimes give ourselves a little bit of a hard time for having forgotten. But I was just recently watching um, Ram Dass's new documentary, Becoming Nobody. And he says, you know, just take a larger view of your awakening and see it as your whole life, that your whole life is a process of awakening, not just this moment. And I've awakened. Oh no, oh no now I am not awakened and I forgot and I should feel bad, but that it's an ebb and a flow and I'm moving in and out of the whole way through. And that's, that's built into the experience. That's not false or wrong that that happens. It's part of the design. And so embracing that too, embracing that from a place personally, definitely for yourself of, um, non-judgmental awareness for the self and a, a full acceptance. That's that acceptance and letting go piece that we're trying to cultivate of, of just things as they are. And it's beautiful and it's okay. And it's wonderful just as it is, even in like the deep depths of despair and sorrow and sadness, 
that's also a part of the design. Hmm. And then we return, we return again to center, to light, to love, to peace, to truth. And that's it. That's at the nugget heart of it all. It doesn't ever go away, even though it might be overshadowed at times. And with that, dear ones, I'll leave you. I'll be back soon with part two of this psychedelic journey. This is just little snippet one of a recent experience that I've had, but I would love to share with you in another podcast, uh, mm, a more complete, uh, journey with me of, of the adventures that I've had of self through the use of psychedelics. But for now, Blessings, blessings, blessings to you.